Hello, and welcome to Moments That Made Her, a podcast where the rare and unique women that hold senior private equity roles share their stories, including the key personal and professional moments that define their journeys and the lessons that they learned along the way. I'm Kirstie McGuire, Executive Director of PE Win. For those of you joining us for the first time, Moments That Made Her is a production of the Private Equity Women Investor Network also known as P.E. Win, We are the preeminent organization for senior-level women investment professionals in private equity. P.E. Win provides its members with opportunities to network, share ideas, make deep connections with peers, and empower each other to succeed. Our mission is to increase the profile of women in private equity, and our members represent institutions with over $3 trillion in assets under management. To learn more, please visit pewin.org. The host of Moments That Made Her is Kelly Williams. Many of you know Kelly as the founding chair of P.E. Win, as well as the founder of the legendary private market solution business known as the Customized Fund Investment Group, which she and her team grew to manage $30 billion of assets until she let it sail in 2014. She is now the CEO of the Williams Legacy Foundation, and serves on the board of the Greenbrier Companies and Grasshopper Bank, and chairs the board of the Smithsonian American Art Museum. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. Welcome to our latest episode of Moments That Made Her. I'm your host, Kelly Williams the founding chair of the Private Equity Women Investor Network. And I'm very excited to bring you our special International Women's Day episode of Moments That Made Her. And we're talking today with one of my favorite people in the whole world for so many reasons. Um, Elisa Wood is a partner at KKR. She also happens to share the same name as my mother. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's rare that I run into someone who has the same name. We're both proud Italian girls. And so we have so many things in common, including spending our summers together in Nantucket. And uh, she's just one of my favorite people. So I am so glad to have you today on our show, Lisa, Elisa. Thank you so much for having me. And the feeling is mutual. This is this will be fun. This will be really fun. So I always like to start at the beginning. And I love for you to share with everyone. I know this story, but not everyone does. Talk with everybody a little bit about how you grew up, where you grew up. Um, give us that background. Sure. So I am a born and bred New Yorker. I'm one of um, the few, I think, that can say that. Um, I grew up down in the West Village before it was trendy and cool and probably when it was still pretty unsafe. Um, And my whole life really has been centered around um, New York. It was, it's interesting, right? I came from a family that was made up of immigrant parents uh, and uh, an immigrant family, Italian immigrant family. Um, you know, my grandparents all came from Italy, um, you know, off the boat, as they like to say. Um, my grandmother was, uh, my mom's side was an entrepreneur. Raffetto's pasta was her family. Um, my dad's side of the family, in, you know, invested in real estate in the village. And my grandfather was a Teamster organizer, right? So very um, humble, but unique and loving upbringing. 
And, you know, I stayed in I stayed in the city for college, which was um, something I debated a lot. Um, you know, I for my high school career, um, I stayed on the Upper East Side, you know, going to an all girls school and, you know, thought of leaving the city to me was just so um, was just would be very strange. I felt like New York was this melting pot. And if I wanted to pursue any of my passions, whether, you know, it was dance or other, um, I wanted to stay here. So went up to Columbia and, you know, the rest was history. So you just alluded to it a little bit, but, um, and, and often when you and I are at dinners and we, we do the tell, tell everyone a little bit about yourself that they would be surprised to hear. Um, but talk a little bit about your time, uh, as a dancer. No, I, I, it's 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 an interesting, fun little fact that um, very few people, I think, know about me, but it makes up so much of who I am, Kelly, and you know that, right? I started to dance ballet when I was four years old, and my mom put me in ballet classes um, because I was, I was honestly a big klutz and I kept tripping a lot and I didn't know how to run and I was very unathletic. And my mom, my mom's view was maybe it'll make her graceful. Um, so I went to, uh, took classes at the Joffrey Ballet, um, which was, you know, one of the premier ballet companies still is, you know, in, in the world, but it happened to be in our neighborhood downtown. So I started taking classes there. And as I started getting older, I realized that this wasn't, just a fun after school activity. It was something I actually had a huge passion for. I loved. Um, and it was, it was something that was just so unique, right? I mean, I think you learn so many really interesting traits as a dancer, dedication, um, you know, the fact that you have to, you know, fight through diversity. It's definitely not an easy profession to say the very least. So I almost didn't go to college. It was one of those things where um, at that point in time, Joffrey lost their contract in New York. Um, we were splitting our season between City Center, BAM, some Lincoln Center. And I loved ballet so much. I wanted to dance professionally. And, you know, my view was, well, if, you know, Joffrey's moving to Chicago, well, then maybe I can go to Chicago too, or maybe I'll go dance somewhere else. Um, and I really wanted to give dance a try. And my parents were very divided on the topic. My my dad, who, um, you know, really believed in education, right? You know, he was the first person to graduate from college in his family. Um, his view was, you know, education comes before anything else. You can choose whatever you want to do later, but you got to have an education. And my mom, on the other hand, you know, her view was follow your heart, follow your dream, um, that's more important than anything else you'll do in life. If you're not happy, it, the rest doesn't matter. Um, so I, the deal I made with my parents was I was going to apply early to Columbia. If I got in, I was going to go. If I didn't get in, um, I was going to go try to dance and see how that was. Um, so I received an acceptance letter early. Um, they were both, I have to say, happy and sad tears, if that makes any sense. I knew that was like the nail in my coffin to my dance career, so to speak. Um, but I still wouldn't change any of that for, for the world, right? So I went to Columbia, I stopped dancing. Um, I tried Broadway for a little bit, but um, I'm a really bad singer. <laughs> so that didn't really work. <laughs> um, I was I was better in the silent ballet than I was anything else. Um, so I stopped dancing and, and that was really the end of my, my ballet career. But I still, I still love it, I still appreciate it. I think it still makes me who I am, but so few people know about that, Kelly. Yeah. Well, and then the universe provided you with a career where now you can actually give back and support the arts, which I right. know you do a lot of. Yeah. I mean, you're really it, passionate. It, it, to me, you know, you, you brought up such a great point, right? The arts, um, 
I, I obviously support a lot of different parts of the arts, but I really believe, you know, the arts are like going to the library, right? Whether you're watching a show or you're going to the ballet or you're going to a museum, you know, that's a piece of education, just like going to school is, right? I think, and that's something that we as a society and a culture, I think, are really starting to see the benefits of. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's something that um, people often think is frivolous, but it really feeds the soul, it feeds the mind, it expands. It's something that, you know, whether you're going to the ballet, or you're going to a play, or you're listening to music spans cultures, spans languages, spans generations, spans, you know, political views, right. you can all sit and appreciate something like that. So um, yeah, so that's great. Well, so tell everybody about what your first job was. I mean, I don't know that you thought of the Joffrey as your job, but did you have an actual job when you were growing up? So I had, I did. I, my first, first job um, actually was in politics of all things, right? So, um, you know, it's one of those things where I think everybody thinks you wake up and you're like, no, I'm going to go into business. That's probably the last thing someone wakes up in their life and thinks they're going to go do. Especially women, right? Women totally, don't wake up thinking Totally, totally. I just, it was the most foreign thing to me. Um, but so I, if I wasn't going to dance, I wanted to go change the world. And that was really how I thought about things. Um, so I worked for, when I was at Columbia, I was a poli-sci major. Um, and I wound up working for one of our local senators, um, actually for a couple of years, and worked on a lot of community organizing, um, everything from local healthcare fairs to getting out the vote, um, you know, all the things that you can imagine, I actually worked on his political campaign for a while as well. And it was super interesting, and I really liked it. Um, and if you said to me at that point in my life, 18, 19, 20 years old, what was I going to go do? Honestly, I thought I was going to go run for office. Um, I thought I was probably going to go work in D.C. for a little bit. And I, I was going to try to create an, enough of a name for myself that I was going to go and try to change the world on a bunch of different topics that I felt strongly about. Um, but what happened was I realized uh, that I was putting myself through school. I paid for college. And I took out a lot of student loans, like a lot of us do, right? And I had a moment where I was probably 19 years old. I went into career services at Columbia, which um, is still in the same place today. And I you know, went, in, went in there and I said, I said to the head of career services, I was like, can you help me figure out what career I need to go pursue in order that I could pay off my student loans over a certain period of time? And my view was if I could do something, I had no idea what the something was, but if I could go do something for five years, six years, seven years, whatever it was, between the time that I graduated and the time that I was 30, I can use those as my earning years, so to speak, um, go pay off my loans and then actually go into politics and go do what I thought I was gonna, what I was meant to go do. So they looked at me like I had three heads and this lovely woman said to me, um, I think you need to go into finance. And I said, well, what's that? And they said, you know, investment banking um, or consulting, right? Like you think about McKinsey or something like that. And I was like, okay, well, banking might be more interesting. Um, so I went and I started to apply to banking jobs, um, investment banking jobs. And that's where I got actually my my first job. Um, it actually was as uh, on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange of all places. Um, and that's where I realized banking took a lot of different parts to it, right? You had investment banking, you had trading and sales. 
And being on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange was not the place for me for a whole host of reasons. And I said, okay, I need to do something a little more intellectual. So let me try out this investment banking thing. Um, and that's when I joined Bankers Trust and then Deutsche Bank because um, they were acquired, um, you know, working for them doing investment banking. And that, that's really how I got into finance. It was, it was totally a nece- you know, necessity. So that's interesting. So um, the career was meant to finance your path to politics. Now, once again, the universe has provide you, provided you a career where you can be active in politics, and that's something you and I do together. Right, exactly. Um, but, but you didn't actually have to run for office, and, and that was your plan, right? You would have run yeah. for office. 100%. And did you have a long-term goal with respect to politics? I, I did. I mean, I, I honestly, my, my biggest issue in politics at that point in my career, actually, the issue is not much different than it is today, which was there aren't as many women involved in politics. And, and I believe we have one of the largest and loudest voices that should be heard and should be represented. And I really wanted to change that. Now, I think there are a lot of ways that you can change it, right? Like you could be the candidate and you can go run for yourself or you can go help fund it in other ways. And I think that's honestly, you know, what many of us, you, me and others have done. Um, but, you know, it's, it, it is one of those things where I, I always wanted to do something that left a mark. Like I felt a sense of responsibility and the responsibility I feel like I felt was my parents sacrificed so much that I could have the opportunities and the experiences that I had, you know, whether it was figuring out how to pay for ballet or figuring out a way to get the scholarships that I got, that I felt that 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 responsibility felt heavy at times, right? And, you know, having, I look at my acceptance into Columbia as also being a responsibility, a responsibility that I was then a part of something much, much bigger than just myself um, or my family. And it was one of those things that I feel like it was instilled in me. And maybe it's the, you know, immigrant family and all of the rest of it. But, you know, for those who have opportunities, you have a lot is expected, right? And you want to pay it forward. And, you know, it's interesting how business wound up being um, where I I ended, or I guess I wound up at the end of the day. Um, But that wouldn't have been where I would have guessed by any means. Um, But it has allowed me a path forward where, I mean, honestly, Kelly, we've talked about this a lot over the course of, you know, our many, many years of friendship. Like, the responsibility, whether you're running for office or you're running a business, are not that different. Um, the world is looking at you in the same way and you're making changes. Some of them are just maybe not legislative, um, but you're making changes that are important nonetheless. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and of course, what we learn, again, I don't know that that little girls are taught this, but that um, absolutely integral intertwining of business and politics. Right. Uh, we know that now <laughs> with experience, but, and I think most Americans don't realize how intertwined the two are. Um, we'll talk a little about about your path to private equity, because clearly um, you made the decision or, or your uh, the career office helped you make the decision to go into finance. But most of us are not socialized as young people, even if we think we want a career on Wall Street to understand what private equity is. So how, how did you make your way there? It's it's interesting, right? Because it was sometimes it's better to be lucky than smart. I say that all the time. Um, I I think I was smart enough to know that I needed to go into the certain profession to be able to do certain things in my life. 
but I was lucky because I found private equity. Um, and that fa it found me, I did not find it. And I'd be, I'll be the first one to say that. Um, I, you know, because I started out in sales and trading, um, you know, on the floor of the exchange, I'll never forget the first day I walked on the floor, this guy who ran the desk slaps me on the back and goes, so you're here to find a husband. <laughs> and because I was the only girl, right? Maria Bartiroma just started being able to report from the floor of the stock exchange. Like that's, you know, this is like the what mid to late 90s. So and without my, one of one of probably my biggest strengths, but also my biggest weaknesses is I have no filter. And you know that as, as I know friend. that. <laughs> um, so maybe that'll make this conversation even more interesting. But so what came out of my mouth then was, well, if I was looking for a husband, this would be the last place I would come. And the whole desk roared and everybody thought it was so funny. And then I became that girl, right? Like, you know, whatever, which was fine. And, you know, oh, she, you know, she speaks tr truth to power on and on. So I realized, though, that I wanted to have intellectual curiosity as part of what I was going to be doing. And that's why I said, okay, executing sales and like trading, that, that wasn't my thing, right? Like it was so, not, nothing wrong with it. It just wasn't interesting enough for me. It wasn't, it didn't create enough thought in my brain to like keep me excited to go back every day. So when I went over to investment banking, what was so interesting was back then private equity, you, I mean, you remember this better than anybody from your days, like private equity was part of the bank at this right. point, like it was part of the investment bank. It was like healthcare or industrials or, you know, it was one of the industry groups, so to speak. So I got placed in it. Um, and I remember not knowing what private equity was, right? I was a poli sci major. I did some minor in Me econ. too. <laughs> right. Like I love it. I wouldn't change it for anything. And by the way, that's one of my biggest pieces of advice to people, like major in something you love. Don't major in something you think that's going to make you successful, right? You have plenty of time to go be successful. But, um, so I went to the stacks at Columbia, I'll never forget this, and I looked up private equity, right? There's no internet at this point. So we'll go look up private equity, and the book that comes up is Barbarians at the Gate, which is kind of funny considering where I work today. Where you Talk work. about a total <laughs> premonition on that one. And I read this book, and I walked away saying, like, oh, gosh, what did I get myself involved in? Like, I don't want to do this. This sounds awful. And I worked at a bank that had a private equity business that was, uh, we were investing in the banks, uh, the, we were investing the bank's balance sheet, but we were also raising third-party capital to invest. And we were also raising third-party capital for other folks. So kind of sat across all of it, really loved it. But the thing I came to despise more than life itself, Kelly, was the culture of the place I worked. And I realized at a very, very early age in my career that the who that you work with matters more than the what any day of the week and life is too short to work with people that you you know that you don't necessarily see eye to eye culturally um if you have to lock your work up at night because you think someone's going to steal it that's a problem if you think somebody's a jerk and you don't want to confide in them on a you know on an opportunity that's a problem so i sat there and i said okay you know what like I learned a lot of great skills. This is super interesting. I love what I do. I just don't love where I do it. Let me spend some time going out on the street and actually talking to a bunch of other firms. And that's what I did. So I was 24 years old. I mean, talk about, I, I don't know if it was gumption or naivete or whatever it was. I had, I made a pitch book and I went and I talked with all the large private equity firms on the street. 
and there was no headhunter. I cold called everybody. I sent in resumes. I called the KKRs and the Blackstones and the Warburg Pincuses and the Carlisles and go down the list. Some firms that don't even exist anymore, like Forsman Little. And what I pitched was, I want to join your firm and I want to help you think about your private equity firm as a business. Not let's go buy businesses, but how do we look at diversifying your business to be most successful, right? Um, and it was maybe M&A opportunities. Maybe it was building out new business lines. It, maybe it was taking one of these firms public at the time, right? Like this is the early 2000s. None of that had happened yet. So most firms thought I was absolutely crazy um, until I came to a place called KKR and I knocked on the door um, and I met a person by the name of, you know, Perry Galkin, who at the time was running the fig group. Um, and he responded to my resume. Um, and he said, you know, really interesting. My daughter actually went to school across the street from you, um, uh, you know, in high school and whatnot. And, you know, I would love to meet, I think your pitch book's really interesting. We're thinking about a lot of the same things you're actually putting in this deck. So why don't we have a conversation? And, through a lot of conversations that then ensued, that's how I came to KKR. But it was one of those things where, you know, for me, sitting in that investment banking class, however many years before, where it was a class of what, 200, 250 people, there were four women, maybe. Um, then to say, okay, I'm in a private equity group, which was also very few women there, but learned a lot of really interesting things. And then finding my path to KKR, I mean, it all felt in some weird way that it was meant to be the way it played out. Um, but it was it was super exciting. Um, if, if I look back at you know starting Columbia and, and not dancing with the Joffrey, if anyone ever told me this is where it would have played out over those that period of time, I would have told them they were crazy. Right, right. And when you went to KKR, were there any women there at the time? There weren't. So there was one woman in Europe. Um, I was, I believe I was the first woman in the U S. Um, so it, it was, it was, you know, Kelly, we always talk about this, right? Like to walk into a room and be the only one could be very lonely, mm -hmm. but it also could be very empowering yeah. and it depends on the place, right? It depends the firm. It depends the culture. And what I thought was so interesting from that those early years at KKR where I, I was the only one, um, I was never made to feel like the only one. You know, you were respected for your point of view. You were expected to have a point of view. The louder you were in a meeting, you know, and the more opinionated you were, the more you were respected. Well, I clearly do well in that type of setting. <laughs> we're Italian, we're so Italian. we know how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> We would like to take a brief break to thank P.E. Wynn's founding sponsors, Kane Anderson Real Estate and KPMG, as well as our platinum sponsor, TPG. If you're interested in sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at info at Now back to today's guest. It, it, to me, it was one of those things where you 
you never were made to feel different because what was respected was intelligence. What was respected was hard work. What was respected were things that were, were non-sexist, if that makes any sense, right? You, you talked about politics. You talked about the geopolitical issues of the day. You didn't talk about who won the football game on Sunday night, right? That was, that's the culture, right? And that's where I realized that I did find a place, and maybe that's why I've stayed for almost 20 years, that felt like home. Um, you know, the fact that culturally the most junior person in the room always speaks first, right? So the senior person cannot persuade the other people. If someone is quiet in a room, you better know you're getting called on. It's like sitting in class. Like, you better be ready, do your homework, and have an opinion. Um, those are things that I came to love, right? Being out of the box, being different. You were valued more than if you had an opinion that was like everyone else. It was like, oh, you took the easy way out if you disagreed with the person who spoke before you. So I, I think that's not all places, Kelly, right? I think that that is unique. At least let's put it this way. It was unlike anywhere I had ever worked before. Um, and I think that's something that after 20 years, when we started, I mean, I, there were very few people at the firm. We had only three offices. You could probably count how many people we had on your hands and feet, so to speak. Um, and then today, looking at how large that we've grown into, the thing I am most proud of is the fact that that culture is still the same. Um, if anything, it's gotten even better, if that's even possible. And I think, I think that's pretty unique in this day and age. I do. I, I've always said I think KKR has a very unique culture, which is reflected in a lot of things that the firm has done uh, to innovate around diversity. And I, you know, I always hold you guys out as a as an example. You know, nobody's getting it a hundred percent right. No one's cracked the code, but you, at least you guys try some things, and that that clearly comes from the fact that you have this culture where people can throw ideas out, you can push back against each other, um, you can take some chances, take mm -hmm. some risks. And I think that makes a big difference. Um, you know, I just got off a call uh, where we were talking about culture in the context of um, secondary education, you know, college. And uh, we were talking about a bro culture at colleges and universities. And of course, it's, you know, it's hard. It can be very toxic. But I think for people, um, you know, from my generation, from your generation who went to schools where that existed, first of all, I didn't, I didn't really notice it. Um, and I feel like it prepared me for the career I chose. I feel like almost any industry you go into, you're going to encounter that. And so I personally, I'd much rather learn that as a younger person. I'd, I'd rather not be coddled, I think, as a high school or college student, and then have to go into the real world. I think it's better to learn how to cooperate in collaborate and compete with men earlier in your career. Mm -hmm. Otherwise you really get shell shocked when you go into the business world. I fully agree with you on that. And I think the thing that we need to impart most on our, you know, younger folks coming up in, in the world is actually exactly that Kelly. Right. Um, you know, I, I look at this, I mean, you know, my daughter really well. Um, and she's, she's a handful, right? She, she is someone who has a lot of opinions, um, which I respect her for and love more than anything else. But I think the difference that's happening in this generation versus our generation is that they expect, this generation actually expects that culture not to be there anymore. 
and they're not going to stand for it. Right. So, you know, I, I look at I look at Maggie, for instance, and, you know, I, you say to her, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she's like, I'm already what I want to be. And I said, well, what is that? She's like, I'm an entrepreneur. And to her credit, she has started a company. She's selling slime right now uh, and you can go pay for it online. Like it, literally like PayPal and she's she's shipping slime everywhere. In the, and I don't know why who wants to buy her slime. But, you know, it's one of those things where at 10 years old, if that's the world that you grow up in to have an opinion the other morning, you know, she she woke up and she said, Mom, did you know Russia invaded the Ukraine? And I'm sitting there. It's the first thing she said to me at 615 in the morning is she's about to like get dressed and go to school. And at that age, I don't think I could have ever told you that that was happening in the world. I don't think I could have ever told you that, like, I'm going to go start a company like, you know, it's all of those things that I, I think the culture that we surround our youth in today and our our up and coming talent today, they have come to expect so much more from the world around them than we ever did. And I, I think maybe maybe we probably push the envelope on things and say, okay, this bro culture, we're not okay with it, or we're not okay with X, Y, or Z. You know, that I think that's great, but I don't think it was societal at that point in time. I, I right. think I think this generation is just a very different generation. And, and I think that's an awesome thing. I do too. You know, tell the story if you would, because I tell it often of um the day when Maggie came out with the pearls on and what she told you. <laughs> this is a great story. So when our kids were little, I used to travel a lot, right? Um, I still do travel a lot, but I was, I, you know, I, I was getting ready to go. Um, I was actually getting ready to leave to go back to Asia and I was kissing the kids goodbye. And Maggie at the time she was little, she was probably like two, two and a half comes out of her room. She's holding her like little plastic purse. She has her like fake plastic pearls on and I said to her, I was like, oh, you're all dressed up. Where are you going? And she's like, I'm getting on a plane. I'm going to China, is what she said. And I said, oh, what are you doing in China? And she goes, buying companies. And I said, okay. And I said, well, what kind of companies are you buying? Like thinking she'll say dolls or something. She goes, pink ones, um, <laughs> which I just, I still love till this day. I mean, uh, it's such a great quote, but I, I mean, how many two-year-olds play that they're going on a trip halfway, you know, around the world to go buy companies, right? Like, right. but I, I think to me, and, you know, you've said this so many times, I, I think showing, if you could see it, you could be it, right? You know, Kelly, you taught me that quote. And early on, and, and I think that when you think about mentorship in business, and when you think about raising children and all of these things, it's so important that we all remember that, right? Like having an example, um, you know, and, and honestly, like I, the only woman I had ever known that ran a major multi-billion dollar business in this world was you, right? <laughs> you know, and I always get the question, you know, did you have any female mentors? And, you know, you and I have talked about this a lot, like, not really like you, you were, you were my friend, you were my mentor, you know, it, it probably, you know, when we, I got to know you later in my career, but it was one of those things where if, if I was waiting around for a female mentor, I would, I would still be waiting. Right. Because right. There, there weren't any. Right. And I think it's so important that, you know, we all figure out a way that we can show the world that like, see it, be it mentality. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, you know, as you said, you got to KKR, there was only one other woman, um, when did you 
when did the transition for you to having a more senior role in the firm start to happen? Like, when did you know that you were going to start playing uh, more of a, a decision-making role in the firm? It's one of those things where I feel, I feel like this is the case for a lot of women, right? Um, you have a moment where you want to start effectuating change and you're not going to sit around and wait for it to happen. You don't want to wait for the world to happen to you. You want to be an active participant in, in driving it and changing it. And I think because I had so many views and, and KKR is a place where you are given a lot of rope, right? If you have an idea, you're expected to go be innovative. You're expected to be entrepreneurial. You're expected to go make mistakes. Like the view was just don't make the same one twice. Like go make a new one. Like who, who makes the same mistake twice? Like you want to go, you should be challenging yourself to go make lots of mistakes if you're doing it the right way. So it was one of those moments where I realized that I wanted to be a part of that leadership bench because I wanted to make sure that one, we were going in the right direction. And I felt a lot of ownership on that. But I also felt that I had grown a voice. I had grown a voice that I think people respected. Um, and I wanted to make sure at the end of the day that I wasn't scared to use it, right? So it, it was one of those things where it was a natural evolution. It wasn't like I woke up one day or they woke up one day and said, okay, you're gonna now grow this team. But it happens in little increments, right? You have an idea, you go do a certain type of deal that nobody else has done before. You see a really interesting investment in the market. Okay, well, great, you go do that. And you know, maybe it's successful, maybe it's not, but you learn something. And all of a sudden, you keep moving, um, you keep advancing the play forward. And, and I think that's just what happened over a period of time. And you know, I think KKR is a very unique place for a lot of reasons and a very great place. Because so many of our senior leaders over time became people who grew up at the firm, right? Um, now, as we've grown, we've brought obviously a huge amount of talent in from the outside too. But for us, culture was always the most important thing. Our assets go home in the elevator every night. We don't make widgets. We don't have the secret formula to Coca-Cola or Pepsi, right? Like we invest in people. That is what we do every day. Whether the companies we buy and the people we invest in there or the people that we, you know, grow within our firm, right? And I think that culture was one where, you know, being good at what you did was super important, but how you did it mattered almost more. Um, and and listen, I'll, I'll be the first one to say this. I think women are better collaborators. I think yeah. women are better communicators. I think women want and do better playing on a team. We, we, we typically don't have sharp elbows, right? Like that's just not, and maybe I'm being sexist, Kelly, but like that's not in a lot of our DNA, right? right. When you think about our roles in society and whatnot. And, and I think that just puts all of us, whether you building and leading the business that you built and sold, me here, like I, I think we're in a place where we were set up to succeed and to strive and to innovate because of those inherent traits um, that I think made us really good at what we did. Yeah, I agree. And I, and, you know, I, I kind of think that's the secret sauce in many ways to PE win because it's a group of those type of women who generally want to see each other succeed and are willing right. to kind of, you know, pass out some of their power and influence and, uh, and experience to others. Um, and it's, it's not at all a, sharp elbow kind of culture. Um, but, you know, I would, you know, my observation would be 
clearly even at 24 years old when you walked in there with that pitch book you were on the glide path to be a senior person because you were thinking strategically about a firm which i can tell you in my experience there no 24 year old ever walked into my firm saying hey i think there's an opportunity you're missing and you know this is how i think you ought to think about your business I, i think you created your own glide path um so I know that I know there are many answers to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So were there particular times throughout your career where you were particularly aware of the fact that you were a woman or someone made you aware? You gave one example of somebody saying you're there just to get a husband. But um, and, and how did you deal with that? It's interesting, right, because my dad, I'm the, I'm the oldest of five kids. There are four girls. My youngest brother, my youngest sibling is a boy. Um, we're 16 years apart. But for most of my childhood, um, literally almost until I went to college, was a house of all women. Um, And my father could not have been more proud of that if he tried, right? And I will never forget, I was there the night um, Bill Clinton um, and and Al Gore actually received the nomination at Madison Square Garden, um, the Democratic nomination for their first term. And when they were running and I was sitting with my dad that night and I said, you know what? It looks so interesting. Maybe that's where I wanted the political thing, but I turned to my dad. I was like, it looks so interesting to be like a first, potentially a first lady. Like, look at all the agendas you could push forth. Um, You know, having that pulpit, having that stage. And I have never seen, and this was a dinner the next night, by the way, I've never seen someone get so angry at me. And he was like seething. And I was like, what's wrong? What did I just say? And he looked at me and he said, you're not going to be, you don't go marry someone because the profession you want, you become the person because of the profession you want. He goes, you're not going to marry some politician. You are going to be the politician. Like what's wrong with you? Like, what have I done to raise you that you thought that that was the right? He was like, took it as a personal offense. Right. So when you grow up in a world where you're in your four walls of your home. No one ever makes you feel second, right? You are first in their eyes. You go into the world believing that. And then I went to an all girls school for high school, right? Where having your voice, having an opinion was so much what was ingrained in you every day. That by the time I actually got into the world, like I, I had these blinders on, right? You know, I thought, you know, you know, here we are, like, you know, we can do anything. Like I, I, whether I'm a man or a woman, it doesn't really matter. Like I'm smart. I I could, I could outwork you. Like the Mike Bloomberg quote, I may not be the smartest person in the room, but I know I could outwork you. Right. And that was so much of my mentality, which was I I will win because not winning is not an option. Um, whatever the win was, right. It could have been anything. So, you know, when throughout my career, it's one of those things where, I was always made to feel like a woman at the times that I never expected it, if that makes any sense. I'll never forget. We were working, I was working on my first IPO and we were at the lawyer's offices back in the day, right? We're at Simpson's offices late at night and the senior associate on the deal was Scott Nuttall and I'm working with Scott and we're working on this deal together. And, you know, somebody in the room thought I was like an assistant. Right. Like I was like the secretary there to get coffee. And, you know, looking at those moments, I, I kind of brushed it off because I was like, OK, like it's kind of what it is. Right. I've on emails even till this day. They'll be like, can your executive make this time? I'm like, I am the executive. Yes, I can make this time. So, oh you know, God. and, and I yeah. get that. And that's fine. Like, you know, we have an arcane culture sometimes in this world and that's fine. 
But what was great about this place was the people around me always got more upset about that than I did. Mm-hmm. Right. Like whether whoever it was, you know, in that room, the other people on the deal were more offended that somebody thought that than I, I was like, oh, whatever. It happens all the time. They're like, no, 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 that's not right. Like and, you know, I think that says a lot about the people you surround yourself with. Um but, you know, I also think it was it was moments when, you know, I had three kids, Kelly, really close together, yeah. right? They're 18 months apart, each of the three. And, you know, there were moments where I worried about that. I, you know, I I got promoted every year I had a child like that. And one of them was made made partner. Like that's not lost on me. That doesn't happen in a lot of places, even in this day and age. Right. And those were some of the moments where I was almost embarrassed to walk into a room pregnant because I felt that made me look weak. Like it felt, I, I felt that automatically people assumed like, oh, maybe she, you know, they're thinking, I know what they were thinking. They were thinking I wasn't coming back to work, right? Mm-hmm. Or things like that. And those were the moments that I almost feel that you had to almost overcompensate, um, which is probably not what you should have done in those moments. But I, I always came back to the place and I say this to all those around me, transparency is our, our biggest weapon, Right. The more honest we are, the more the more that we talk about those things um, in this day and age, and say honest, you know, let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about our our junior folks. Hey, I know you're thinking about X, Y, and Z. Let me tell you how I did this. Let me tell you how I went through this. I don't have all the answers, but I could tell you all the mistakes I made. Um, and I think those are the moments where, when the world makes you feel alone in those rooms, um, you can think back on all those on, on all those moments and get through it. And honestly, leaning on people like you. I mean, how many times, like you said to me once, one of the best pieces, of, you gave me two great pieces of advice over the years, actually. Um, I don't know if I ever told you this. One of them was, <laughs> you told me very early on, every day do something that scares you. Which I, you know, I think was actually an Eleanor Roosevelt, Roosevelt yeah. quote. But that is something that I wake up every single day and I think about, right? Um, if you're not a little nervous for something, you're probably not pushing yourself enough. And I, I just, I credit you to that. And then the other thing that I think you really, you really ingrained in me was you got to bring, you got to bring people along with you. Um, it's really lonely when you're running a business. It's really lonely when you're in senior leadership, you're making calls. You don't know if you're making the right ones, build a kitchen cabinet, build a group of people that have your interest at heart and only your interest. They don't work with you. They don't sit on the board with you. They're people that you can call any time of the day or night and say, this is happening, what do you think? And you know they can give you honest and true feedback. And those are the moments that whether or not you're the minority in the room or whatnot, you you rally around it, right? Like those people boost you up and you just have to pay it forward and do that for them too. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's so critical to have the truth tellers around you, especially as you get more and more senior, um, because you don't always get the truth and you can't, it's very hard to be vulnerable. So you need those people who will tell you the truth um, and where you can be honest about how you're feeling, you know, those scary moments that I encourage you to seek. um, You know, also there are moments you don't seek and you're scared because it just comes for you. So, um, well, so what would you say now, because you've had, uh, even though you're very young, you've had a long career in private equity. Um, is there a high point to date that you, you can point to? I think there are a couple, right? I mean, I think every time we do something that no one's done before, 
that's a high point, right? You know, we're all in it for that thrill or we wouldn't be sitting in the seats that we're in. Um, whether it's a new business that you go build and it becomes successful or it doesn't, that's okay too, right? You know, they're all not successful or you make um, a good investment or you raise a new fund or a new product. All those things I think are high points, right? Um, you know, I look across my career, a lot of what I've done was build out the international pieces of what KKR has done, right? So doing the first, you know, version of something in Mexico or Chile or, you know, we're, we're in China or wherever it is in the world, I think is really exciting. And that's, I think, what keeps you going, right? But honestly, some, some of probably my biggest high point is the fact, there are two, that I, I look around and I'm not alone anymore. I'm not the only woman anymore. Um, and there are a lot of us. And that's really awesome. And we're, you know, we're, we have voices, we're senior, we're running businesses, we're doing lots of great things. Um, that to me is a high point because that was a lot of hard work to get to that point. Um, and I would also say when I, when I look at, you know, I look at my kids, right? I think my, my highest point of all is the fact that they think it's totally normal that their mom is who their mom is, mm-hmm. right? They're proud of it, right? You know, mom's on Bloomberg today. Like, dad, can you tape it? My friends are coming over. Can we watch it this afternoon? Like, or, you know, why, who are you seeing wherever you go today? Oh, that's really interesting. Like you own that company. I saw that in the news. Like those are really, that to me is a high point. Um, the fact that you could almost make it normalized to do what we do, um, you know, I think that's, that's special. That, that wasn't the case when I was growing up. That wasn't the case 25 years ago. Right. Um, so. Yeah, I agree. It's funny you say that because I remember when, you know, when I was traveling like a demon and I talked to my dad and he's like, why are they making you do that? And I'm like, dad, there is no, they I'm they. (laughs) Um, and so, but to to your point to make it normal, like, yeah, that's what moms do. Moms do the hard stuff. Um, and they, they buy companies and they run businesses and, you know, they travel to Asia for 24 hours, which Mm -hmm. is really more like, you know, 72 hours to do a one day trip. But, um, so you referenced this before and we all have these moments, but I think they can be really instructive. Is there something that stands out for you that you would point to as a, you know, a mistake or even a, a failure, um, and how did you grapple with it? How did you integrate that into who you are and how you approach your career? I am very aggressive. I think you know that. <laughs> I'm not telling you something you probably don't know. Um, in terms of both in terms of just my personality, you know, I, I'm, I'm a very, I'm a high energy, aggressive person, right? Whether it's like getting in line at the supermarket or, you know, winning, you know, some type of auction, like it, it, it's all the same to me, right? Like I just, I see red and like, I, I've sat with you at many an auction. That was me. You, you know how that goes. You're like, you're the highest bid, put the paddle down. Um, but it's one of those things where I wish that I knew earlier in my career that I always felt that to compensate for the fact that I was a woman, I had to almost go harder at that. Um, and, I, you know, I, I joke all the time, right? I've had a lot of coaches in my career. 
Um, and they've, they've all been super important, right. in helping me develop and being a good team um, person and helping me be a good leader. You know, leaders aren't born that no one's a natural lead, leader. You learn how to be a leader, right? It's a skill you own. Um, and it was one of those things where, you know, I always joke that like, well, you know, if, if I was a man, I wouldn't be seen as so aggressive. And, and finally my husband pulled me aside who I've been with for ages. I met him my first day at Columbia said to me, he was like, even for a man, you're still pretty aggressive, Lisa. And I said, okay, fine. I take the point. And, and I just wish that I would have found the comfort that I have today in how I, how I lead, how I work with people that you don't walk in a room and you say what it should be. You walk in a room and you ask a bunch of questions and that builds followership. And I wish I learned all that sooner. I feel that that was probably one of my biggest mistakes in life. Like I, I had a lot of responsibility from an early, you know, a younger part of my career. And I feel that I, I had two things I was always fighting with. I was always fighting that I was usually the youngest person in the room and I was the only woman in the room. And I would have to come out swinging to compensate for those things. And that actually made me probably look worse because of both of those things. I wish I figured that out sooner. Um, so I don't know, long answer to the question, but. No, but you know, you bring up the, a really important thing. And I, I, you've heard me talk about this because I feel very passionate about this. I actually think um, women are natural leaders, right? I mean, I just, I, as you know, I'm just back from a trip to mm -hmm. Africa. You look at any animal it's the woman who's in charge. Right. The woman is leading the pack. The woman is getting it done. She's getting the family fed. She's, you know, killing dinner. She's keeping the kids in line. The men are off like preening somewhere. Women are natural leaders. The thing that we are not well educated on is developing followership, which is a very different skill. You know, if you're a leader and you kind of know where to go. Women are natural problem solvers. We, you know, to your point, you see what the answer is. Right. Um, it's how do you cultivate people and bring them along so that they, they follow you. And for us, when you're a senior person in, you know, in the private equity industry or in any industry, you, women are never taught that, look, you have to convince a group of people that they're going to put their careers on the line behind you and they're going to see you as a winner and they're going to say, look, I'm willing to stay in my seat and get paid what she wants to pay me and listen to her strategy because I believe that she's going to win more often than not. And I, I actually think that I think all of these, you know, programs on leadership and teaching women to be leaders, I think women have those skills. I think we have to stop telling women that they're not natural leaders because I think they are. I think we have to talk to them about develop, developing the followership skills. I think, I think you are, I think it's so well said, and I think you are totally right. And I think you can blur leadership and followership together um, a lot. And I think that's a mistake, honestly. Um, but I, I, when you think about teams, right, I think it's, it's interesting, right? Like if you would have ever told me I'd be a hockey mom, I would have laughed a lot of years ago, but um, apparently that's all I do. Um, I'll be at hockey tournaments all day tomorrow. But um you know, when you look at the, the way teams form and how you typically see people gravitate to and toward people to follow, right? There are there are followers and then there are people who follow uh, or are followed, right? And it's really interesting that the qualities 
that people follow, right? That they're attracted to. They're attracted to that confidence. They're attracted to um, the sense of collaboration and communication and drive. And but they also want to be inspired, Kelly, right? Like, and that's something that I think we often, um, you know, just in business, we sometimes forget, right? You know you think about that in the arts more, you think about that in a lot of, maybe in politics, you think about that in a lot of other areas, but I think that also comes out in business as well. Like you want someone who's inspirational. You want someone that you can go do things that haven't been done before. You want to innovate together. And I, and I think that's an important piece of like what you're saying as well in the business world. Yeah, I agree. And I think it gets back to what you were saying before about these natural skills that women have. Um, And I think, for followership, one of the secret women weapons that women have is we're willing to let people be their authentic selves mm-hmm. um, and that we're willing to we actually take an interest, personal interest in people. And as you know, you know, a lot of people, they'll trade money, they'll trade titles as long as they feel like they're in a place that values them and sees them and, you know, cares about who they are and cares about the quality of their life. And I think lots of businesses have learned that over the last two years is that, look, you can throw money at people, but they're still going to walk away from you if they don't feel like they're valued at your company. And I think women do a particularly good job. I think another reason why more companies should have more women in senior roles is because I think women are better at making sure that the employees in those firms feel valued and feel seen. I agree. I fully agree with that. So um, switching away from business and our, you know, your career specifically, is there anything else in your life uh, besides the Joffrey Ballet that you would say, you know, personally changed you that had a really big impact on you that that made you the person you are now? Honestly, my family. I I think uh, maybe it's the Italian, maybe it's the big family, maybe it's all the above. Um my family is the thing I'm most proud of. Um, they are the, they're the people that I would choose to spend time with above anything else. They're also the same folks that I probably fight with more than everybody else. Maybe it's the Italian love hate thing we have going on, but I think they have fundamentally shaped who I am, right? They keep it real. Um, you know, they're like, you may be Elisa, whatever at work, but you know, (laughs) here you're just mom or here you're my daughter and it doesn't matter. And there is right and wrong. And we're going to make sure you're always on the right side of that. Um, and, and I think that's, I think that's important, right? I think to be grounded in this world is so important to remember where you came from and not change who you are, I think is really important at the end of the day. And to be reminded that you have a responsibility to pay it forward. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of, things in this world, you know, define who, who I am, you know, the love of the arts, right. The love of Nantucket, the, the love of, I, I can go on and on and on. Right. Like I, of, of all the things that I think help make me who I am. But I think at the end of the day, it come it comes back, it comes back to family. Yeah, I would, I would absolutely agree. And I think, yeah, all of it. Well, any of us who've been in an Italian family know that it's the great equalizer and the great right great uh humbler <laughs> when you come home right. and they don't care who you are you're gonna wash the dishes or right, you know, right. whatever it is right no you're so um right. 
Yeah, totally. Um, so now, now we're going to move to one of my favorite parts of our interview, which is our lightning round. Okay. Um, so I'm just going to throw a couple questions out at you and, and get your, your responses. The first one is, is there a great book that you've read or listened to recently that you would share with everybody? It's a book that is called Let Them Lead. Um, it is a management book, I guess, but it's about a hockey team. It's about the worst hockey team, high school hockey team in the U.S. Uh, they were they literally came in last place. I don't think they won a game in years. And this new coach came in and he figured out a way to play to each of the individual team members' strengths. And he wasn't leading. He just helped facilitate them to lead. And it's this great book. And they turned it. I mean, it's, a, you know, it's like the Mighty Duck story, right? They turned it around. They did great. But it, it's such an interesting, it, it goes back to the followership point that I think you were talking about. Um, I would never have read it. it. It was like a sports management book. Um, and, you know, I was looking for a Christmas present for, you know, the boys and this book came up and I was like, huh, this is interesting. And I read it and I actually wound up buying it for everybody on my team. Um, and it's a quick read, like you can read it on a plane. It, it's not a long book. And I just, I literally was sitting there highlighting it because I was like, this is really interesting. So anyways, random oh, book. That's great. That's a good one. All right. All you hockey moms out there. Um, <laughs> what's your cell phone wallpaper? Picture of my kids. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Um, I think you may have answered this, but maybe there's another answer to this. If you weren't pursuing a career in private equity, what would you be doing? Okay. So there are two answers. One, you probably could guess one you wouldn't guess. Um, or maybe you would, um, I would probably run for office. Um, I, I really still believe there's that drive to go change the world and make it better, whatever better means. Um, and the, or the other would be, I would love to be like the barefoot Contessa of Nantucket. Like it's like, <laughs> it's like a random little thing. Like I would love to just, do a show and cook all day on it and go scalloping and cook my scallops. And like, I don't know, it would be totally. Oh girl, we, we have to talk. I mean, you know, I was, I've been trying to get my husband to do that for years and I actually started a production company, you know, Island girl productions to, to film this show. I really think there is a market for it. So maybe we need to work on this. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Um, you have been really transparent with us, but is there anything else we don't know about you that people would be surprised to hear? You know, Kelly, I think we all could probably say this, probably everyone listening can probably say this. I, I think the problem that I have that we all have is we sometimes make it look too easy and <laughs> we never show the cracks, right? You know, if, you know, if there are cracks out there, put a little more lipstick on, you know, or do whatever you got to do, smile through it, make it look easy. You don't, no one ever wants to work with somebody who makes it look too hard, right? Like that was advice I got early on in my career. I'm not quite sure why anyone ever told me that, but, um, you know, I think there's something to be said for the behind closed doors when you have those moments where you're super angry, you're super upset, or you feel like the world's turned against you. I think it's actually helpful to have people see that. Um, like be more human. Don't make it look too easy. It's not easy. This is all sacrifice, right? Like whether you're running a business or buying it, but whatever it is, it's hard work. Right. And it's okay to make it look hard. Right. Um, so anyways, I, yeah. that would be no, the- I agree. I remember, you know, after I sold the business and you and I were at the women's private equity summit mm-hmm. and you were interviewing me about it and 
um, you, I think you asked me the question, like, what was the thing that most surprised you about the right. process? And, and the, the thing that most surprised me about the process was how like awful some people were mm -hmm. um, competitors and including women who were just doing like outright um, dishonorable, disreputable right. things, trying to, inter you know, disintermediate with me, with my clients, you know, stealing team members away, right. spreading lies in the marketplace. And I thought, look, it's one thing to compete. Like I, I don't mind competing. I, I'll compete with anybody, but you're actually trying to harm my life and my career right. and hurt the people who work for me and hurt my family. Like, um, and that was devastating. But, you know, what? I, as you said, like when you're selling a business and you're trying to keep the team together, like you can't show any of that. No. Um, the well of strength you have to draw from right. in order to, to, to power through is, is pretty extraordinary. No, it's it's you're so right. So true. Yeah. And then the final thing is, what is your um, secret guilty pleasure binge watch? Um, there are a couple, I guess. Um, I am a big, my, yeah, my husband Alistair always jokes about this. Um, I'm a big Food Network fan because I have like very, very bad ADD and I like a, a movie is way too long. Like I just can't stay focused long enough. So like a 20 minute segment where I can kind of tune in and out is kind of fine. It like actually works well for me. So um, I watch and, and like DVR a lot of Food Network, um, but I also like a good old British drama. Maybe it's my husband's British family that's rubbed off on me. Um, so so any any of those British dramas, I feel like I um, I don't know. I, I leave feeling happier that I get transported to a world that is so far from the one I live in. I don't have to think about it. So. I agree. I totally agree. I've been watching The Gilded Age, which of course yes. is the Upper East Side, yeah. and I, I don't find it quite as snappy as Downton Abbey. Yeah. Um, but but there's something about it because it is grounded in right. You know, in New York, you and I are both lifelong New Yorkers. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, and then uh, I find I get a little bit of PTSD when I watch Billions. Mm -hmm. It's just a little too too, <laughs> too close, close to home. To home. <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm like, I don't need yeah. to watch this. We live. This I don't every need day. more stress when exactly. I come home. Exactly. Yeah. Well, anytime I get to spend you with you is a treat. Oh, thank you. Um, and this was amazing. You've been a fabulous guest, the perfect one for International Women's Day. I thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for being um, a leader at PE Win. You've been there since the beginning. Thank you for um, really helping lead your firm to set the example of how to create cultures where, where pe all people can thrive. Um, and thank you for being such a wonderful friend. No, th thank you. R right back at you. I, I thank you personally. I could not do what I've done without you um, more ways than one. And honestly, we as an industry have so much to thank you for, um, PE win and otherwise. So, um, you know, thank you for being you. Ah, you're nice to say that. All right. Well, signing off from Moments That Made Her with our guest, Elisa Wood, partner at KKR. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Moments That Made Her. I'm Scotty Wardell, co-chair of the PE Win Communications Committee. As a reminder, the content in this recording is for general information purposes only and does not constitute advice. We give no assurance or warranty regarding accuracy, timeliness, or applicability of any of the contents of this recording.
This recording is provided as is, and PE1 expressly disclaims any and all warranties expressed or implied to the extent permitted by law. Except where acknowledged, the copyright and all intellectual property rights in all material in this recording are owned by PE Win and our affiliates and should not be reproduced without our prior written consent. Other organizations or brand names used within this recording are for identification purposes only. The content set forth in this recording may not be sold, reproduced, or distributed without PE Win's prior written consent. Any third party trademarks, service marks, and logos are the property of their respective owners. Any further rights not specifically granted herein are reserved. Thank you again for joining us today, and we hope you tune in for another episode soon.